0: There's a bird. There's a bird that lives in the heart of the Sahara Desert. And this bird has the most astounding plumage. It's a thousand colors, this bird. Red. It's blue. Yellow. a second shade of green, magenta, a third shade of green, and so on. It's astounding. And you might imagine that each feather of the bird is a different color. But that's not the case. Each feather of the bird is itself a thousand colors. So when you look at the bird, stand back, it just looks brown. And this bird, it lives in a hole under a rock in the heart of the Sahara Desert. It lives in a hole. That's, some birds live in holes, I guess. Owls, I think, sometimes live underground. It seems counterintuitive for a bird to live in a hole, but that's what this bird does, and it's just got such, such amazing fucking plumage. It's kind of a shame that it spends basically all of its time in a hole under a rock in the heart of the Sahara Desert. No one can look at it. It stays inside all day in its hole. Watching football, which is what birds call soccer. Watching football and eating chips. This bird comes out of its hole once every thousand years. A thousand years for one day, it comes out of its hole the rest of the time, it's just, it's just in there watching football, which is what birds call soccer, and eating chips, which is what birds call nachos. But once every thousand years, it emerges from its hole, which is in the heart of the Sahara Desert. It rouses itself, and it takes flight. Its wings are like clouds hanging over the sky. It flies upward and upward. It soars upon a whirlwind to a height of 90,000 feet. It flies glides for weeks on end. Across the ocean, there's the floating in the air, there are the darting moats. Little bits of creatures blowing one against the other with their breath. The bird The bird doesn't know whether the blue of the sky is its real color, or if the blue is simply caused by its infinite height. Whatever it is, the bird will, you know, it's the same to the bird. When it looks down from above, at a height of 90,000 feet, The bird has all the wind beneath it, thereupon mounting upon the wind with the blue sky overhead, with no obstacle in its way. It flies to the west, across the ocean. Cicada and the young dove laugh at the bird saying, When we make an effort to get up and fly, we come to rest in the trees, And sometimes we don't get that far. We just fall to the ground midway. What's the use of going up 90,000 feet in order to start for the west? But what do these little creatures know? Small knowledge is not to be compared with great knowledge, nor a short life to a long one. This bird flies across the ocean, flies westward across the ocean. How do we know that this is so? The morning mushroom knows not the alternation of day and night, The mole cricket knows not the alternation of spring and autumn. The bird flies westward. Following the setting sun. And after weeks in the air, the bird alights in Muncie, Indiana. At Ball State University, the bird circles downwards towards the ground, and it perches on a statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. And this astounding bird of a thousand colors from the heart of the Sahara Desert, this once every thousand year bird perches on the shoulder of the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, and it just shits all over the statue. And then it flies away, back to its home in the heart of the Sahara Desert. Not to be seen for another thousand years. For another thousand years, it keeps itself in its hole. watching football, which is what birds call soccer. Small knowledge is not to be compared with great knowledge, nor a short life to a long one. Every thousand years, the bird returns to Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And it shits all over the head of the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. Generations of men and women live and die in Muncie, Indiana, never seeing the bird, which comes only once every thousand years. Many of them believe there is no bird. Every thousand years, upon a whirlwind, it soars up to a height of 90,000 feet beyond the clouds and the atmosphere, with only the blue sky above it, and it turns toward the Western Ocean, towards the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, in a quadrangle at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. And so pass thousands upon thousands of years. The generations of men passing in the blink of an eye. The works of men decay empires rise and fall and they're nothing to the bird. And gradually, every thousand years, the bird shit accumulates on the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, at Ball State University in... Muncie, Indiana. Thus pass vast, unknowable seas of time, and gradually the bird ship obscures the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. It piles at the statue's feet, and the pile of bird shit slowly, slowly inches up the legs of the statue. Generations upon generations rise and fall as the statue of Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, is gradually drowned in the ship of this amazing bird. A quail laughs at the bird saying, Where is the bird trying to go? I spurt up with a bound and I drop after rising a few yards. I just flutter around among the brushwood and the bushes. This is also the perfection of flying. Where is that bird trying to go? This is the difference between the great and the small. My friends, for every day between now and the day when the pile of birds shed is the largest mountain in the realm, for every day there is an episode of Being Jim Davis. You're listening to Being Jim Davis. Today is Monday November 19, 1984. Today we're reading the 2,346th ever Garfield strip. Not that many Garfields compared to some of the shit this bird is getting up to. Am I right? How about that bird Ladies and gentlemen, give it a hand, why don't you? Have you seen a wild cat? or a weasel. It lies crouching down in wait for its prey. Hither and thither it leaps about. Not hindered by either what is high or what is low until it is caught in a trap or dies in a net. Then there is a yak large as a cloud across the sky. It is huge, all right but it cannot catch mice. Now you have a large tree, and you're worried about its uselessness. Why do you not plant it in the realm of nothingness, in the expanse of infinitude, so that you may wander by its side in unaction, and you may lie under it in blissful repose? There it will not be harmed by Bill or Axe, or nothing will do it any injury. Being of no use, why should anything be troubled by that? There is a great fish, deep beneath the Arctic Circle. There is a great fish, a thousand feet long, it's no color at all, this fish. They call it the Leviathan, and it plums the depth. It mums the depths And it swims alone in the darkness beneath the Arctic Circle And there's no sound And no light Once every 10,000 years, the great fish rises to the surface. It rises up through the depths, through the krill past the cephalopod. up to the light at the surface of the ocean. And it swims across the great surface of the ocean. swims all the way to Fort Lauderdale, Florida for spring break. But only once every 10,000 years. Because fish only get spring break once every 10,000 years. The fish arrives, the great leviathan of the deep, arrives at Fort Lauderdale, Florida for spring break. And I don't know, maybe it turns into a dog. The fish turns into a dog, and the dog paddles ashore. dog talks to a cat, the cat says hello to a guy. The guy falls down a hole. And this dog is a practitioner of beat poetry. Dogs love beat poetry. Yeah. Anyway, about this fish. What did I say? It turns into a dog. The dog talks to a cat. The cat gives the dog a potato. The dog carries the potato in its mouth back to the ocean. Where it resumes its form as the great fish, and it swims back to its home in the depths of the Arctic Ocean, in the blackness, that deep, black, hyperborean stillness of the Arctic Circle, and it drops the potato to the bottom of the ocean. Happens once. Every 10,000 years. One potato is called an eon. And 10,000 potatoes make an era. And 10,000 eras, they call that a honker. And the honkers are uncountable. Before the ocean is filled with potatoes. Do potatoes float? Not these. These potatoes sink. Fill up the ocean. You might think the potatoes fill up the lower part, the ocean just the water just gets higher, but that's not how it works. Not this time. Soak up the water like gross sponges, and then it's just potato water, potato water, yeah. For every day, from now until the day the ocean is filled with potatoes, and the mountain of bird shit covers the state of Indiana, for every day, there will be an episode of Being Jim Davis. A man from Sacramento came with a stock of ceremonial caps to the city of Fresno, but the men of Fresno were accustomed to cutting their hair short and tattooing their bodies, so they had no use for such caps. So the bird ruled the people of the land, maintained the government within the Four Seas. After he paid a visit to the Four Sages, the Sierra Nevada Mountains, and returned to Muncie, Indiana, he had a mysterious look His empire Walker said to Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, The president of Universal Features Syndicate gave me some seeds from his huge gourds. I planted them and they bore fruit the size of five bushels. I used it as a vessel for holding water, but it was not strong enough to hold. it. I cut it in two for ladles, but each of these was too shallow to hold anything. It looked huge, all right, but it was so useless that I smashed it to pieces. Jim Davis, creator of Garfield, replied to Mort Walker. You are certainly not a very clever, at turning large things to account. There was a man of Indianapolis who had a recipe for salve, for chopped hands, his family having been silk washers for generations. A stranger heard of this and offered him 100 ounces of gold for the recipe. His family all came together in Indianapolis to consider this proposal, and they agreed, saying, We have been washing silk for generations. What we have gained is but a few ounces of gold. Now in one morning we can sell this technique for 100 ounces. Let the stranger have it. So the stranger got it and spoke of it to the president of Universal Features Syndicate. When the president of Universal Features Syndicate was at war with the president of Paws Incorporated it they gave him command of a fleet. In the winter, he had a naval engagement on the shores of Lake Michigan, in which the latter was totally defeated. The stranger was rewarded with a fife and a title, and thus, while the efficacy of the self to cure the chapped hands was the same, yet in the one case a man thereby gained for himself a title, Well, in the other, those silk washers had to keep on washing the silk with its help. This was due to the difference in the use of a thing. Now you, Mortwalker, since you had this five-bushel gourd on your hands, why did you not make of it a great buoy? whereby you could float about in rivers and lakes. Instead of this, you regretted that ladles made from it would not hold anything. Isn't your mind a bit wooly? Have you not seen a wild cat or a weasel? It lies crouching down in wait for its play. Hither and thither it leaps about, not hindered by either what is high or what is low, until it is caught in a trap or dies in a net. Then there is the yak large as a cloud across the sky. Yes. My friends, there is a yak. There is a yak, a great yak, that lives in the depths of the Sierra Nevada mountains. The yak is a different color every day, and no one has ever seen any of the colors of the yak, and the colors have no name, and the yak has no name, and people don't know what to call it. They should have asked the first time they met the Yak, but they didn't, and now it has abided for thousands of years in the heart of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and everyone is embarrassed to ask its name. It's too late. They're just waiting for the yak to die. So they can learn its name from its obituary in the local newspaper. But the yak lives on. The yak abides. The great yak, large as a cloud across the sky catch mice in this yak sleeps for a million years beneath the sierra nevada mountains it sleeps for a million years Every million years, it awakes from its deep, dreamless, black slumber. And it has a continental breakfast, which is what yaks call some cantaloupe steaming hot black coffee. Sweetener, but no milk. The yak awakes every million years and it trots down from its resting place Depths in the stillness of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. And it goes to Las Vegas, usually at hitchhikes. It goes to Las Vegas. Stays in it. Different hotel every time. Sometimes it's the Wind Hotel. Sometimes it's the Luxor. Sometimes it's Caesar's Palace. Every million years, the yak stays one night in Las Vegas. to see Celine Dion perform. Dion in the river. I don't know what the name of the river is, but probably there's a river in or around Las Vegas. Maybe it flows into the Hoover Dam. Seems like that's possible, right? Hard to know. Let's say it does. Let's say it's caught on the wind. The axe ticket stub from watching Celine Dion. It's caught on the wind. And it flutters in the air. All the way to the Grand Canyon. Relatively speaking, the Grand Canyon and Las Vegas are pretty close together. But that's a long way for a single ticket stub. Right? The Grand Canyon. The ticket stub settles to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. One little insignificant ticket stuff every million years, and the generations of man pass by in the blink of an eye, the days, the years, the chilliest Empires rise and fall, and every million years, once every million years, the Yak rouses itself from its mountain fastness in the Sierra Nevadas, and it hitchhikes to Las Vegas, and it watches Celine Dion perform, and it loses its ticket stub, uh, on the wind, and the ticket stub flutters into the Grand Canyon. One ticket stub every million years. Night follows day, and day follows night. And the stars process around. of millions upon millions of years, the Grand Canyon is gradually filled with the Yaks' ticket stubs from watching Celine Dion. A million years is a Yak, and ten thousand millions is a Chiliad, and ten thousand Chiliads makes a booglong and ten thousand booglongs is a long time and even then it is thousands and thousands of long times before the Grand Canyon is filled with the Yaks ticket stubs but my friends for every one of the days between now and the time when the Grand Canyon has been filled with ticket stubs, and the mountains have crumbled into the sea and the stars have gradually winked out one by one for every one of those days there will be another episode of being jim davis you're listening to being jim davis here today, who knows, whether he will be back tomorrow, or 1,000 years from now, or not at all, today is Monday, November 19th, 1984. And today we're reading the 2346 ever Garfield Bill Keane creator of the Family Circus, spoke to Jim Davis, creator of Darfield, saying, I heard from the master, Charles Schultz, that the sage does not occupy himself with the affairs of the world. He neither seeks gain, nor avoids injury. He takes no pleasure in seeking. He does not purposely adhere to the path. He says things without speaking, and he does not say anything when he speaks. Thus he roams beyond the dust and dirt of the world. The master Charles Schultz himself considers this a very inappropriate description of the sage, but I consider it to be the way. How do you think of it, my dear sir? Three panels, said Jim Davis. Three panels. Three panels, said Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. You are too hasty in forming your estimate. You see an egg and expect to hear it crow. You look at the crossbow expect to find a dove roasting. Let me try speaking to you in a somewhat irresponsible manner and I may ask you to listen to me in the same spirit. Leaning against the sun and the moon and carrying the universe under his arm, the sage blends everything into a harmonious whole. He is unmindful of the confusion and the gloom, and he equalizes the humble and the honorable. The multitude strive and toil. The sage is primitive and without knowledge. He comprehends ten thousand years as one unity, whole simple. All things are what they are, and are thus brought together. Three panels, said Jim Davis, creator of Garfield. Three panels for Monday, November 19th. 1984 the 2,346th ever Garfield there were three panels a bird a fish a yak three panels thousands and tens of thousands and millions of years in three panels. These three panels. Panel one. Jonathan Arbuckle stands behind the countertop. His cat, Garfield, faces him also behind the countertop. Jonathan Arbuckle speaks on a touch tone telephone it's not a rotary dial hey it's the 1980s we modern we good we have touch tone telephone John Arbuckle wears a pink shirt that's unusual Usually, he wears a blue shirt, but not today. Today, he wears a pink shirt. His telephone is pistachio green. His cat is orange. They stand behind the countertop, which is lavender set against the backdrop which is Robin's egg blue. John has a dreamy look in his eyes and he gestures with his right hand and he says, Doc boy, how's my favorite little brother? Garfield looks on impassively That is panel one. How do I know that the love of life is not a delusion? How do I know that he who is afraid of death is not like a man who left his home as a youth and forgot to return? Liz the Veterinarian was the daughter of the Border Warden of Portland, Oregon. When she was first brought to the state of Washington, she wept until the bosom of her dress was drenched in tears. But when she came to the royal residence, shared with Jonathan Arbuckle his luxurious couch and ate his sumptuous lasagna, she regretted that she had wept. How do I know that the dead do not repent of their former craving for life? Those who dream of a merry drinking party may the next morning wail and weep. Those who dream of wailing and weeping may in the morning go off gaily to hunt. While they dream, they do not know that they are dreaming. In their dream, they even try to interpret their dream. Only when they have awakened do they begin to know they have dreamed. By and by comes the great awakening, and then we shall know that it has all been a great dream. Marbuckle continues on the telephone. He says, Oh, things are pretty much the same here. Wild parties, good times, the usual. John is bragging. John is lying to his brother, Doc Boy. But is Doc Boy dreaming of John? Yet all the while the fools think that they are awake. This they are sure of. With minute nicety they discriminate between princes and romans. Jim Davis and you are both in a dream. And when I say that you are in a dream, this is also a dream. If after 10,000 generations, we could once meet a great teacher who knew how to explain, it would be as though we met him after only one meeting morning or one evening. In panel three of today's Garfield, John Arbuckle continues on the phone. His shirt is still pink. His hair is still brown. bone is still pistachio green. The countertop is still lavender. The backdrop is still robin's egg. Blue, the cat, is still Garfield, who looks on. And yet, the situation has changed. John Arbuckle His eyes are wide with fear. His face is taut with concern. His fingers, tinsed. He says to his brother, Doc Boy, ah. you say you're coming to visit? We see his terror at being caught in the lodge. Garfield. A sentient orange anthropomorphic cat and audience stand on in amusements Says Garfield, it's put up or shut up time. Ha ha ha. It's put up or shut up time. Ha ha ha. Garfield. feel pleasure at Jonathan Arbuckle's Discomfort in panel three. It's put up or shut up time. It's put up or shut up time. It's shut up time shut up time shut up time it's time shut up it's time